This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. As we're looking at being missionaries and we're looking at going to the field and Brother Chris and Brother Nathan and all of us um, missionaries that you've had come in to present to you, and um, we're looking at this and we're trying to figure out what are we, what has God called us to do? What are we going out to be able to do? And so we're looking at what are the keys to success as a missionary? Anybody who's going into a field, going into occupation, they're trying to figure out what it is that is needed for them to succeed in that field. No one wants to um, just go in blinded with no idea what they're going in to do. So what's the key to success as a missionary? But before you can answer that question, you have to answer the question, well, what is success? Now, if you're in a business, you know, and you're just trying to balance your um, inflows, your outcome or your, your expenses and um, income and balance sheets and all that, you know, it's, it makes it fairly clear. But what about for missions? What about for foreign missions, for missions in the States? What is success? Is it the most sermons preached? I mean, we're going out and we're trying to declare God's glory so that people can hear. Is it the most churches planted? That's what we're wanting. We're wanting to see God's church expand. Is it the most people saved? I mean, surely that's what we're trying to do, right? See people saved, see people proclaiming. God is their savior? Now, if missions were our work, you might be able to argue for one of these things as, as a measure. But I think if that we look at scripture, we'll find that missions is not our work, but God's work. But he's, accomplished, he's chosen to accomplish it through us. But missions is God's work. First passage we'll go to is Matthew chapter 9. And I'll have these passages up on the screen just for the sake of time. But you're obviously welcome to turn to them yourself. But Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 36. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Now this passage is very familiar. And it's so familiar to us that we might miss this emphasis but I think it's important to notice where the passage itself puts the emphasis. And I just realized I forgot to turn this on. The back there probably, what's he doing? Didn't turn his mic on. Um, so where does the passage itself put the emphasis? It puts the emphasis entirely on the Lord. First, who was it that felt compassion on them? It was Jesus. Jesus is the one. There in verse 36, Jesus was moved with compassion on the lost there. Second, who is supposed to fulfill the need? Now, in one sense, we are, he's telling his disciples that they're supposed to pray, but he's saying that labors are few, and who's supposed to fulfill the need? He's not saying the labors are few, therefore go. Now, that's a good application, but that's not what he's saying. He's not even saying the labors are few, therefore tell other people that they need to go. But what does he say? 
He says the labors are few. The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So it's God who's the one who's going to be fulfilling this need. And he's the one who had the burden to begin with. And finally, this is his harvest. The emphasis in this passage is entirely on the Lord. It's his burden before it was ever my burden. And it was, he's the one who's fulfilling it through sending people. But he's the one who's sending them. And it's into his harvest. This is all about the Lord. The focus is not on me. It's not about how great of a soul winner I am or all that I can do. But it's about God accomplishing his work. Whose glory are we supposed to be proclaiming to the nations? It's God's glory. Not our own. Not what we can do. But it's God's glory. And that's the message that we have. Second passage I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 7. So I have it up on the screen there if you need it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 starting verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And so just a few things to note. First, God causes the growth. Not the one who plants, not the one who waters, but God is the one who causes the growth. In John chapter 6, 44, we see that no man, Jesus says, no man comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus himself was saying that with his spoken word or with with the sermons and the the parables and all his teaching people could hear that and yet still reject it they could hear everything he was saying you think of Judas Iscariot he heard everything that Jesus was teaching and yet he still rejected him because no one can come to the no one can come to Jesus no one can accept him unless the father draw him we cannot do this ourselves we as the ones watering and planting we cannot draw people in and save them it has to be God who draws them God is the one who gives the increase or verse 7 God is the one who gives the growth and second each will receive his own reward but according to what now if you're a farmer or if you have a backyard garden and you plant and you water and you know, your crops grow up and you grow your vegetables and zucchini and tomatoes, whatever else. When do you get the reward? It's when you can get the fruit and you can eat it, right? But that's not what the reward here is saying. Each laborer will receive his own record, reward there in the end of verse 8 according to his own labor. He's saying that we're recorded based on our own labor because... Ultimately, the results are not up to us. They're up to God. They're up to his sovereignty. But we're required to be serving and to be serving faithfully because our reward is based on our own labor. For we are, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. 
So we are working, we're fellow laborers, fellow workers with God. And he's making that point very clear. If, he, if it didn't make it before where he's saying that the ones who plant and the ones who water, they're working together, but God is the one who's giving the increase. They're working together, he's saying, that we're workers, laborers together with God in accomplishing this. And so if we look back, we just saying, look at the illustration. So it's, it's not that God needs Tim and Claire to go to Poland to be able to see revival there. He doesn't need us. He's the one who's giving the increase. He's the one who's doing the work. He could easily do it without us. If he chose, he could send out 12 legions of angels across the whole globe to proclaim the gospel all at once. And they would never have to go through language school. They would never have to learn the culture. They could go and proclaim God's glory to all the nations today. And now God has, has God ever used angels to proclaim a message before? Yes. Think of, think of the um, shepherds in Bethlehem. God used angels to proclaim the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, was born. So he's not limited by people. He could call out from the sky like he did for the Apostle Paul. He's not limited by us. He doesn't need us. But he has chosen to accomplish his mission through us because we are his fellow laborers. He's working, we're working together with him. And I'd like to have just an illustration um, and if you think of maybe a family and you've got a father with, with two kids, one is four, one's eight, and so the dad, he wants to build a swing set for his kids. He wants them to get some exercise, some fresh air, and he wants to go build a swing set for them. And he could do this on himself, on his own, but he wants to get them involved with it. So he says, okay, guys, let's, let's get up in the truck and we're going to drive to the store, get the lumber, supplies, and he says, okay, let's go. And he has this material list. He says, we need this many two-by-fours, this many screws, and um, goes down the list, this much of a chain. And then they go to the different aisles, and the kids say, oh, there it is over there. And they pull it off, get it all loaded in the truck, drop it home, unload it, and um, spread it out on the ground, and says, okay, and gives them different roles. He says, okay, for the eight-year-old, I want you to measure out the boards, measure out this long, and then mark it off. And then I'll come back and help you cut it. And then for once they get it cut, bring it over here, set it up. And then he's got a screw right here. And he has this four-year-old. He says, okay, let's, let's screw it in right here. So he holds his hand. He says, okay, pull the trigger now. Uh, and he screws it in and gets the screw in the right place. And so they're working together to build this swing set. And when he looks at that, if you try to think of a, a father working with his kids on this, is he looking at that? And when they're getting this, as they're progressing through this, is he going to be saying, oh my word, these guys are so slow. Should have just done this myself. No. It's his joy to be working with his children, for them to be laboring together with him in accomplishing this. Now, he could do it himself. He doesn't need them. But it's his joy to get them involved with that. And every illustration falls apart at some point. But that's a better picture of missions than thinking of God as having this great blueprint that he has this mission and he needs us to go do these different tasks in order for the mission to be accomplished. Ultimately, we can do nothing except if God is the one who is doing it. 
In, in uh, the Gospel of John, he's telling his disciples that he is the vine and that we are, he's the vine and we are the branches. And without him, we can do nothing. So we could go and we could proclaim um, the gospel in Poland, but without God, without Jesus working, we can do nothing. No one will come without God doing a work. So God has a great mission, and he is the one who's accomplishing this mission. He's using us. We're his fellow laborers in this, but it's ultimately God who's the one who's doing it. Whether that's in Cameroon, whether that's in the Ivory Coast, or um, in Virginia, or Poland, wherever. God is the one who's bringing people to himself. God is the one who's saving people, and he has a great mission. In 1 Timothy, we read, God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God has a great mission, and he will accomplish his mission. And he's chosen to accomplish it through us. And that is our great joy that we can be part of that. Next passage I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Just a next chapter over. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So what is this talking about? So let account of us as the stewards of the mysteries of God. Who are the stewards of the mysteries of God? Now Paul is applying this to himself. He says, um, us as the stewards of the mysteries of God. But this applies to anyone who has come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You have come to understand the mystery of the gospel, the truth that is a foolish mystery to those who are lost, but to us who are being saved. This mystery is the power of God. We read in first chapter of 1 Corinthians this applies to all who are saved, who have come to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. If you understand that, if you are saved tonight, you are a steward of the mysteries of God. And what does the passage say in there in verse 2? What is required of stewards? That a man be found faithful. So as stewards, all of us here, if you are a believer, are called to be faithful as a, as a steward, faithful of the steward, stewardship of the mystery of God. So what does faithfulness look like? You could spend days, and you could have a weeks-long series, sermon series, on all the Bible has to say about faithfulness. And I don't want to do that tonight. That's not my goal. But I want to point out just two different truths about faithfulness. First, it's that faithfulness looks different for different stewards. Now, there are certain things that apply to all believers. Everyone is supposed to be developing the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone is supposed to be growing in Christ-likeness. Everyone is supposed to be involved with um, sharing, God's sharing, sharing the gospel. We're all called to be participating in that. But 
uh, faithfulness does look different for different stewards. Different people are in different roles. They have different gifts, different abilities, different callings. Not everyone is called to Poland. Not everyone is called to Virginia. Not everyone is called to Cameroon. He calls different peoples to different places. He calls different peoples to different occupations, stages of life with kids in the house, empty nesters, singles. God has called all of us into different roles. And we see that Paul mentions this in a number of different areas. And the most vivid example is in 1 Corinthians um, chapters 11 through 14 when Paul is talking about the body and being of different members. If all were an eye, where would the hearing be? We all have different roles as in the body of Christ. So that's my main point, is that we all have different roles. Stewardship looks different for different, faithfulness looks different for different stewards. Secondly, that faithfulness is all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing, impacts every area of your life, the whole shebang. When you are born again, your entire purpose for living changes. When you are moved from death into life. In Philippians 3, we read that our citizenship is in heaven. If we have been born again and we are living, our citizenship is in heaven, our fundamental reason for living is different than for everyone in the world around you. Are you trying to live the American dream but just Christianizing it? Faithfulness is not a side hustle, something that you can stick on on the side when it's convenient, when there's opportunity, then you can work in faithfulness when, when, it, when it works. Faithfulness means that your entire purpose for living is to glorify God, to proclaim his glory to the nations. That's why you are living. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, as Paul says. It's all-encompassing. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Faithfulness is a mindset. It's all-encompassing. It affects every area of your life, and it's a complete mental change. From seeking after the things on the earth, seeking for a good life, comfort, satisfaction, but seeking instead to glorify God. Seeking the things that are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches this as well. It says, therefore take no thought, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your treasure? Where is your heart? Are you seeking things that are above, seeking the kingdom of heaven? And now if you're living in this world, if you're sitting here and you're listening to me, I'm assuming that you're living, and I'm assuming that it's in this world. We haven't colonized Mars or the moon. If you're living here, you probably, it probably means you either own or rent or use a car or a house or a phone, have these things that you interact with, 
And it may be that God has even blessed you and that you own a nice house or a nice car or a nice phone because God delights in giving good gifts to his children. But if your goal is to have a nice house, a nice car, a comfortable job, a nice place to work, a new phone, if that's what your goal is, if that's what you're looking for and setting your affections on, treasuring, then there's a problem. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you've ever said that I could never, that might be a sign that that's where your treasure is. I could never... I could never uh, share the gospel with my boss because what if he didn't give me that promotion? Because I know that would, he's not really friendly towards Christians. So what if I, if I did that, what if he would kind of look over me for that next promotion? Or what are you afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid to share the gospel with my friends because what if they don't want to hang out with me anymore? Are you treasuring their friendship more than proclaiming God's name. I'm afraid to ask for Sundays off because what if, what if that's just going to make my, make my employer upset and then going to let me go? Are you treasuring your job more than being with the body of Christ? And now different people have different roles and I understand military, they don't necessarily have Sundays off. Policemen don't necessarily have Sundays off. So I'm not saying that. But as, as a mindset, are you saying that I'm treasuring being with the body of Christ? As a mindset, am I treasuring sharing the gospel? Am I treasuring what things are in heaven, the invisible realities that we are called to if our citizen tr citizenship truly is in heaven? For me... To live is Christ. Is that your call? Or is that, is that your, your theme? To live is Christ. So what does this mean for you? You're looking at this. Trying to, we're trying to take all this in and see where we've gone. We're looking at just success in general. And we've seen that faithfulness, we're being faithful to God's calling. And that stewardship looks different for different people. Faithfulness, wherever God's called you to be. And you're looking at that. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you today? If you're a missionary, there are a number of missionaries here. God has called you to share the gospel, whether it's here in the States or another place, full time. And so faithfulness for you is going to be involved preparing sermons, preparing ways to share the gospel, getting to know people, all those parts of the aspects of being a missionary. But if you're not, if you're here in the church and God has not called you to full-time missions, that's fine. That's not a lower calling. Like I said, in the body, we all have different roles and they're all needed. But you're still called to be involved, faithfulness and living for Christ, having that mindset, looking, after, looking on things above, is going to change every aspect of your life. And so what does this mean for you? This means that you still are called to be growing in Christ-likeness. You are called to be sharing the gospel, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with those around you, praying for foreign missions. In Romans 15, Paul writes to the church in Romans, and he says that they can join in his struggle for missions with him by praying for him. 
So you all are called to pray for these missionaries. Pick up a prayer card, read the prayer letter, and pray for them. If we look back earlier, we can do nothing without God. God's the one who's giving the increase. And we need his prayer, we need his help. We need him to open up people's hearts and people's minds. So pray, share the gospel yourself, give financially. This is all the Lord's money to begin with. Do not be treasuring these things that you have. Give it up unto the Lord. So we're all called to be praying and to be giving and to be going, whether that's across the globe or across the street. We're all called to be proclaiming his glory to all the nations, to all the people around us. So look at that and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because as we said, it looks going to look different for different people. I can't necessarily go in and say, this is exactly what you need to do. This is exactly what God has called you to do in this, in this specific instance. So pray to the Lord. Ask him to help you. Pray that he will help the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you into what he has called you to do. If you were here this morning and you heard my testimony about how just the Lord was leading me into missions and now that wasn't the call for everyone around me or even my other siblings who grew up with me but God called me to do that and thankfully Lord helped convict my heart so that I would follow his leading in that so be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and be very um, proactive in looking for ways that you can share the gospel look for those opportunities and really be examining yourself am, am I now faithfully serving Lord faithfully setting my mind on things that are above faithfully treasuring God's things prioritizing the lost the need for the gospel across the globe not prioritizing just my own comforts and what I want to do and my desires. But if we really get a hold of God's burden, then he will change our desires and he will change what we treasure if we seek after those things. And now you look at that and you think, am I being faithful in all of that? And probably, if you're a human with a flesh, the answer is no. I'm not being perfectly faithful. But you know what? The Lord knows that. And he is faithful, though we will fail. He is not, he will not fail. And we will fail to, we will fail to give, we will fail to go, we will fail to pray, but God will help us in our weaknesses. And we can pray to him and ask him to help us to be faithful in serving him through all these things. And then when we fail to pray faithfully for him to help us be faithful, we can again come to him and he will, he will minister us and he will give us grace. And I think this cycle is, it's very, it's very humbling that God uses. This is something that God uses to help humble us, remind us that we can do nothing without him. We can never get to a place where we do not need his grace. We can never get to a place where we can share the gospel in the perfectly laid out way and so that we know that somebody will be saved if we just share this point one through five and then when we come to the end, we know they're going to be saved because they cannot argue with that logical reasoning. 
we look at this and we see that it's by God's leading. It's by God's grace. We cannot do this. God is the one who has to do the work. And it's a constant reminder that we need his grace and we need his help. And so it's very humbling being reminded of this. But at the same time, it's so very freeing because we know that we will fail. We will not be perfectly able to fulfill all of this, all that we're called to do. But we're reminded that God is faithful. And we look back and we see that this is his mission, ultimately. It's not it's not first mine, but it's first God's. And so then we, we just circle back to the beginning question, what is success for a missionary? And it's not numbers, as we explored. It's not achieving this metric that the world would consider success. But it's looking and setting our minds on things above and being faithful to whatever God has called us to do. In 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. So for the Apostle Paul, when he was looking back and reflecting on his life and all that he had done, he didn't look back and take pride or confidence in the fact that God had greatly used his his ministry. He didn't look back and see all the churches he had planted, all the people who had been saved through his ministry. That's not what he took comfort in. That's not what he put his confidence in. What was it that he's saying and he's reflecting on? He's saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, if anybody could have looked back and said, this is how I know God has used me because look at all the results. Look at all that God has done through me. And he did, but that's not what he looked at. That's not what he took confidence in. He looked back and he said, I have fought the good fight. I, had, I have been faithfully serving my Savior. And that is what he reflected on. That is what he was looking at. And that is our calling as well, to be faithful in whatever God has called us to do. So we look at that. And again, we're just reminded that we will never get away from God's grace, that we can't, and it's designed that way. And in, 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 indeed, it, it is a grace from God that we can be we're reminded that we will never be able to be self-sufficient. In missions, in sharing the gospel with family members, whoever, we'll never be self-sufficient, but we'll need his help. We'll need him, ultimately, to do the work. And it's a constant reminder of our own weaknesses and our own failing to be faithful. But it is such a comfort to be reminded that this is not my burden, first of all. I am not going into this alone, but this is God's burden. And though I will fail, and I will fall short, and I, my language skills will be lacking, and I will have trouble here and there, and I will fail many, many times. But God will not fail. He will not only fail, he will not fail to see people saved, and he will not fail to proclaim his name through all the nations. And he will not fail to accomplish this work. We looked at our first passage. Whose harvest did it say that this is? This is his harvest. He's the, he's the Lord of the harvest. 
and he will bring people into his harvest. And no matter what I do, I will not be able to mess up his plan. And so my burden is that I can serve faithfully as a, as a faithful steward and a faithful servant of the Lord. And I'm sure that that's your burden as well. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us all here to be faithful fellow laborers with you in accomplishing your will to see people saved. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.